And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. Hey, how's it going, man? 51, dude. We're almost there. The final countdown. I wish I had a button that I could play that that final the countdown. Final song. countdown. That's exactly what it sounds like. So I don't need the button. So thank you. But yeah, here we're we're back, dude. Episode 51 and 52 of our How to Start a Tech series or How to Start a Tech Company and how to realistically understand how tech companies work as we are admittedly going to be exactly two weeks late delivering this or two months late. Now we have taught so many, well, I know, but we've taught so many people along the way that your expectations should be that things take twice as long and cost two (laughs) to three times as much being the eternal optimist that I am, Matt, I actually believe we are 10 months ahead of schedule and way under budget, which is is led to this series (laughs) being acquired And we're going to talk about what happens after an acquisition today. Now, Matt, I know you know so much about this. I'm going to let you rest your mind and your voice for just a moment while I remind everybody that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Gusto. Gusto has modern solutions for modern HR problems, whether it's talent management, payroll, or onboarding tools. Gusto's HR platform has it all for you. Be smarter than your competitors and try free three-month subscription. You just go to gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. Once again, gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. You know what's even easier than typing all that stuff in? Just go down to the show notes and click the link. Click, click. It'll take you right there. So, you know, Matt, we we hear in our approach pattern to this, we've recently talked about preparing for an exit. Well, what is an acquisition? Preparing for an exit reasons acquisitions fall apart, negotiating a a successful exit. And then you have the good old what happens after now. Oh, man, no less than 10 episodes in the history of what is, by the way, episode 800 is March 7th. I can't believe that. I know. I was was talking to uh, Sandy Kemper recently and I was reminded, he was like, what shows was I on? I was like, well, you were on episode number 100, where we were super pumped to have gotten to a hundred episodes and to have you as our guest, you were like our big golden yeah. prize. Do you remember that? We were like, yeah, it's yes. a perfect guest. Yeah. Now he's been on three times and he's like, yeah, am I still one of your most popular episodes? I don't know. A quick yes. count, bro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Love, love the episodes with Sandy, which by the way, you talk about acquisitions and raising capital, you know, up to 400 and, well over 400 million, but our episode is titled 400 million in capital and what we did with it. So yeah, I that's mean, interesting. C2FO is definitely one of the unicorns of Kansas city. So uh, I mean, they've got to be a yeah, billion and, dollar company and they're just, I got, and, a, and a guest and a guest that, 
is amazing with the info, the expertise. And honestly, I look at and I think I'm like, wow, I've got so much room to grow. Yeah, <laughs> I've got a sure. lot to learn still. So now um, I don't know if an acquisition's in their future, but you've had a couple, Matt. So, you know, when it comes to acquisitions, I mean, in general, acquisition describes a primarily amicable transaction, depends who you ask, uh, where both firms cooperate, also depends who you ask. Uh, friendly acquisitions occur when the target firm agrees to be acquired, its board of directors uh, or whomever uh, approves the acquisition. And friendly acquisitions often work towards the mutual benefit of acquiring a, uh, you know, target companies. Now, you know, there, we've talked about a lot of the other stuff, mainly that, you know, for individual managers, employees, that, you know, an acquisition can be personally disruptive, maybe even feel traumatic as if the baby is being ripped out of your arms or a whole lot of stuff. But, you know, really in the end, like for this episode, we're moving past all that stuff. And, you know, the real question is, is what happens afterward? Now, Matt, you've talked about, about this in the past and kind of described, well, you know what, let's just go firsthand, Matt. After the Venn Solutions acquisition, which was in the 150 million ballpark in 2011, like, I mean, what happened after that? Well, with any acquisition, right, it's going to impact multiple different things and people, right? So it's me personally, it's the other shareholders, it's our employees, it's our executives, it's our product, it's our customers, like everybody gets affected in some different way, right? And depending on the type of acquisition, it's good or bad or, or no change for all these, all these different things. You know, the number one thing I can think of was... Um, a bunch of consultants crawling up my ass. That, that, that was the first thing I could think of. You really? know, like, well, you, you sell you sell a company and the next thing you know, like the mothership is wants to come crawl up your ass about all sorts of shit. You know, like the consultants come in and want to make sure security is good and this is good and that is good. And you're like, oh, fuck. Oh. Shouldn't they have done that before? Well, they do, but but it just gets worse afterwards, you know? Huh. Um, so... Well, well, Matt, you described this to me in the in the past, and maybe even when we were discussing, you know, the you, when you were in Million Dollar Bedroom. I mean, you described the feeling as being really anticlimactic, like like all yeah. of the all of the all of the glitz, glamour, hustle, stress, everything happened before, and then one, and then you wake up and there's a bunch of money in your bank account, and you're kind of like, huh? The, right, I would say, else? you know, if you think about the the roller coaster ride. Probably the climax is when you get the offer and you get the letter of intent. That is probably actually the biggest highlight of all of it. Because then you've got to grind for like three to six months that is pure hell of getting the deal done, the due diligence, all the meetings, all the bullshit you got to do. It's exhausting. I mean, now if you're just a shareholder that didn't have to do any of the work, then okay, sure. Then you're just super excited when you get the money later. But if you're but if you're an executive or the founder that is going through all the bullshit to get the deal done, once you get the money, it's just like a huge sigh of relief. You're just like you're just off the roller coaster at that point. You're like, oh, my God, the last three months, six months have been exhausting. I just want to go like sit on an island somewhere and do nothing now. Like it's just exhausting. And you just kind of get off the roller coaster and, and really the most exciting part of it it was back when you got the offer i would say if that makes so now sense we're sp 
Yeah, totally. I mean, and I, and I think that that's why I was like the glitz, the glamour, like, I mean, we kind of get to the point where the money's about to be transferred. Um, and you know, I mean, it's kind of the writings on the wall at that point. Now, you know, we're speaking that Matt's speaking from the founder owner or investor, like the shareholder perspective, but after an acquisition, uh, the reality is a lot different for the people that work at yeah. the company. Now, in many cases, and we've talked about this, and this was the case for you, both with Venn Solutions and Netrio, most of the time leaders or CEOs, CTOs, um, you know, a lot of times are involved in what is known as an earnout, um, or they are around yep. for an indefinite amount of time. Now, another, you know, so at, at, we were talking about the past, episode 150, we had Neil Sharma on, who is the founder and CEO of DEG, which was another $150 million acquisition for a company here in Kansas City. So that was ironically on episode 150, but I was talking to you guys about that. Now, Neil actually, years later, has now stepped away from DEG. So in some cases, like Neil's, like he stayed a long time. You know, I mean, that was years. I mean, it's two and a half years, basically. And, you know, if I read uh, his article about that, and I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that I think Neil's a great leader and maybe just bailing in the middle of a pandemic wasn't what wasn't the right thing to do. But, you know, as far as leadership goes, that's variable. Now for employees, this is a lot different. And I, I shared some of my experience uh, my, my greatest experience of a post-acquisition world of working for a company was not a company that I owned. It was when a private equity firm purchased six different musical instrument chains, and this is in my late 20s, and they mushed them all into one. Now, that created chaos, man. There was a lot. I mean, people were walking around on eggshells. There was a lot of people just literally had already packed up their shit because they knew they were going to not end up with a job yeah. because- yep a lot of these acquisitions and mergers occur because it's cheaper to mush three things together and because you only need one of this, not three. And so these things, this redundancy, and you know, you're trying to, you know, so you're boring, you're running the board. It's like the, in office space when the consultants come by, I mean, there's a lot of people. So exactly what do you do here, Matt? You know, it's just maybe interviewing for your own job again. Well, for sure, there's depending on the, the type of acquisition and the size of the companies and all that stuff, right? There's definitely massive culture changes that happen and how it impacts the day-to-day -day job of different employees, right? At the Venn Solution side, when we were acquired, I would say it didn't really impact the day-to-day -day of the employees. We kind of ran as an independent business unit and just kept doing what we were doing. They honestly never really integrated the companies very well together. Uh, really what they did, I would say almost years later is just shut down certain product lines, actually like this whole, whole like team, they just shut down because they move the customers to a different business units product. Like, um, and, and so that, that happened over a much longer period of time. And then, you know, you gave the example of, of the, the music instrument store, music instrument stuff. And then, you know, from the Netro side, when Netro acquired Stackify, they they pretty much immediately merged a lot of the teams together. So I mean, it was like an instant kind of like, hey, you do um, you're an account manager, but now you're an account manager for both products. So now you, you know, you got to learn both products. You got to understand both customer bases. Um, you got to understand all sorts of new shit. Congratulations, you have like two jobs now instead of one, um, right? Like, and and then you also just get into the just giant culture shock, right? 
around how companies do business, um, where it's like, you know, most startups are, are, are young, they're agile, they're more nimble, they make quick decisions, right? And, and the entrepreneurs and the leaders are usually much quicker to make decisions, right? Like, almost to their own fault, they run around with a shotgun, and they just make decisions all day. And sometimes there's collateral damage, where all of a sudden you got acquired. And now, if you got acquired by a much bigger company, things may move dramatically slower, right? Where it's like, it feels like nothing ever gets accomplished. And that is a giant culture change that some of us simply cannot survive in. Some, some yeah, employees str- just cannot I'd struggle with that. I'd struggle with that. And I think that I don't think that's your favorite scenario either. No. Cause, cause like you look at our perspective, I mean, I'm used to owning or being one of the owners of the company, which means I don't have to go through nine levels of approval. And you're used to running around with a shotgun. Yeah. Or shooting. If somebody takes your foot, shotgun. Shooting, <laughs> I'm shooting myself in the foot with it on some days, yeah. which I take responsibility for, but I might have to actually get permission at the new company to shoot myself so, in the foot. So Matt, your new job is to now make uh, PowerPoint presentations um, about what your team is going to do. And we're going to have meetings and discuss those. And we're going to need to see all sorts of spreadsheets and numbers and goals and forecasts. Um, and if you could get all that done by Friday, that would be great. Um, I, well, I'm busy working on new cover pages for TPS reports, so <laughs> I'm not and, sure and, I'm going to be able to do that. And, and I'm also got my fourth meeting about whether, whether we should be using Microsoft Teams or Slack. Oh my God. Yes. And I mean, and this is a reality that happens when any kind of companies merge, right? You've got, oh, we have different tools and we have these we have these management meetings. This is how we do things. You know, we have quarterly meetings. We have monthly meetings. You know, we have, it's like today, like you, you might be in charge of whatever product or engineering, right? And then all of a sudden you merge like, oh, now the VP of product is going to take that over. And this is how they do things. And everything has to go through review committee. And now we have to worry more about security and SOC compliance and all this shit. And you're like, fuck, I just want to get this little change done in the software. And now they're like, no, that has to go through a committee and we have to talk to customers and get their opinions first. And they go, oh my God, and you just want to jump off a bridge. So if the acquisition's big enough, I may request specific time throughout the day to stop and take breaks to shop for private islands. Yes, that's important too. Is that is that frowned upon? Or do you just get a, do you get someone to do that for you and just bring you the results? I feel like well, part of the fun is actually shopping for the island and really like, but maybe not. Well, you'll be in so many meetings all day um, yeah. that it's pretty easy to just do that during the meeting. During the meeting. Ex- yes. Yeah. It's, it's really starting to come together. Yeah. Really, while, while you're ignoring it, you can fight with your, you know, wife or spouse or whatever about the paint that she wants to do and the giant remodel and you know, all, all the things, you know? Yeah. Totally. Totally. Um, or, you know, all, well, that and, and shopping for overpriced JPEGs. I mean, NFTs. Yes. Cause you're going to have to have a board ape. I mean, and some other things. Yeah. You should definitely invest all of your money in JPEGs. Yes. I can't wait to we start gonna, our series. We're going to be, yeah, be doing a series on that. And trust me, that will not be the last time that uh, Matt and Matt or I sound a little uh, a little surprised 
that we chose the wrong career. Who would have known 10 years ago all we needed to be doing is buying and selling JPEGs? You know, they used to say, they used to call them starving artists. I don't know if they're starving anymore. Uh, they will be once the world, once reality sets in and 98% of those things would turn back into but, a JPEG. So going, going back to, you know, the acquisition and, and how it impacts everybody, you know, for a lot of employees, it, it absolutely creates a lot of uncertainty, right? They're, you know, our um, executive assistant, you know, immediately is like, uh, I just don't know, like they already had an executive assistant. So now there's two of them. And I just don't really feel like there's enough work for both of us or whatever. And so she quits, right? Like you end up, you end up with a lot of people that jump off the ship because they're just not sure about what the post acquisition world looks like, or they don't like their new manager, or maybe they were happy working with you before, but maybe they weren't like extremely happy. But now all of a sudden they're like, oh, I got a new boss, new company. You know, maybe I should look around. Maybe I should think about, you know, what other what other options are out there. And my friend Joe keeps trying to recruit me to come work with him. So, you know, maybe I should actually think about it. You know, and it next thing you know, you got a floodgate of people leaving. Like it's just part of the deal. Yeah, and I think that's expected. So, you know, a couple other things that, you know, from a more mechanical standpoint, after a after a merger occurs or an acquisition occurs, I mean, there is an actual like, uh, you know, shares like there's some there's legal stuff that occurs. Like if you own if you own companies in share A and somehow those those could turn into now new shares and yep. company B. Meaning like, you know, it's the first thing is no longer a thing and it's now something else. Um, you know, another thing, too, is in a lot of startups and this has been, you know, part of what, you know, as as tech uh, really, you know, r- rose and the val- and valuations went through the roof. I mean, there was a ton of people in San Francisco that, you know, it found themselves young and rich. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, here's the thing is, uh, you, I mean, you could in some, in many cases have a bunch of newly semi-wealthy people around and, uh, well, everyone handles that differently. Let me just put it that way. I mean, they handle it way better than the people who won the lottery that might've been like really, really dumb that just got handed a bunch of money. I mean, usually it's smart money, right? You, you got people that were entrepreneurs that ran a business or whatever, and they're, they're usually more educated, smarter, or whatever. And so, yeah, if they get handed a, a few million dollars, they're, they're going to be much better than the lottery winners are probably. Because you hear some crazy stories about the lottery winners. Most of them all end up broke later. But, you know, even entrepreneurs, they, they in some sense, when you have a big win, it, it makes you feel invincible too. And yep. they feel like everything they're going to they're gonna touch later turns to gold and they can repeat the success and all that, which is absolutely not true. Um, yep. Some people get lucky and they have multiple, multiple wins. You know, you got somebody like Elon Musk that maybe everything he touches turns to gold. Or maybe you could say the same thing about somebody like Donald Trump. Or you, you get some people that are just big personalities. Like somebody like Trump, I don't know if he's just successful because he's Trump. Like maybe he's not successful at all. But, but people just like because he is who he is, they like treat him however they treat him, right? But for the average Joe, like the rest of us, like, we're successful once does not necessarily mean we're going to be successful again. Well, I, yeah, I, I agree on the high level examples. Now, one thing that I would rebut with is 
I do think that once you've seen what winning looks like, it makes it easier to win. Sure. And one thing I do know for a fact is once you have one, your street cred has gone up a lot. So it is like you use like the Trump example. And I don't ever like talking about Trump because not, I mean, honestly, I don't like talking about politics, but, but regardless, you, there are people, names, brands, and street cred. And we've talked about this even up to fundraising, like having the right advisors and people and stuff around you. Like you, you have brand value. Like, dude, we have, you and I have that. Like realistic, we do. And you know, now what's that worth? Is it Trump or or whatever? I mean, maybe not, but or definitely not Elon Musk. But on on the micro, mac, like smaller scales, uh, it does definitely matter. Um, you know, another thing too is uh, the moment that. Oh man, the moment that I mean, even regardless of what it is, even us being on. Okay, so when I was on the Forbes Next 1000 last year, I got all kinds of weird shit coming my way after that. Mainly nothing that I wanted to even pay attention to, but it definitely draws people out of the woodwork. I still get uh, weekly calls, emails, or inquiries from people that found uh, full scale on the list of Kansas City's fastest growing companies. And that becomes tough to manage. Now, speaking of management, managing your team can be as easy as one, two, three with Gusto. No more late nights for processing payroll or dealing with business tax filings. No more painful spreadsheets for attendance tracking. Say hello to your new smart HR platform. You can go to gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. You get a three month free subscription. Matt, it's gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. Now, I don't know if Gusto handles business tax filings for post acquisition uh, mega checks, but yeah, I mean, like what I was saying right before that is there, you do, your, your life does change uh, the perception uh, that people have. And you and I have talked about that a little bit. I mean, I, I think people probably treated you a little differently afterward. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting how people treat you. Yes. And, and there's a lot of pros and cons with it. Right. I mean, um, you know, it, it's, it just, it really changes your life in, in, in a lot of ways forever. And even with your family, it creates all sorts of weird problems with your family as well. Um, it definitely changes a lot of things and it's hard to even yeah. explain. You know, but yep. it, it, the the easiest example is like, hey, your your best friend that you might would go have dinner with, his version of of dinner might be meeting at Taco Bell, right? Where your version of dinner now might be very very different, and you wouldn't be caught dead at Taco Bell, right? Because you're like, uh, I have money and I'm not going to Taco Bell. But to I'd them, still go to, I'd still go to Taco Bell. I like Taco Bell. I would go to Taco Bueno, but not Taco Bell. But the, True. I'd go there too. Maybe both. Maybe I'd go to both and then decide which one I wanted to eat, and that would be my version of fancy. But, but what makes it even worse is you also know that even if you go meet your friend at Taco Bell, you're buying. There, yeah. there is no way they're even going to pay for Taco Bell, right? And it just yeah. creates weird problems and relationships um, that, that just happen, that happen because of that, right? And you almost, in a lot of ways, have to find a new circle of friends that you have more in common with that you can do different things yeah. with. And it just makes you things said, You said that to me with the, one of the very, one of the very first things. So for those of you listening, Matt and I first got, we, we had maybe only met one time before I asked to uh, have a conversation with him to put in million dollar bedroom. And we realized we had some commonalities after that. We have kids that are the same age. We live really close to each other. We didn't really know each other, but 
we hung out a couple of times after that. And you actually made a comment to me. You said, man, I like the fact that you don't want anything from me. Um, just meaning like that's the tiresome part. Like, I mean, I, I run into that a lot too. Just people wanting, I don't know. They want money from you. Basically they want you to invest, validate, advise, direct. I don't know. Just the, it goes on. And, and the thing is, is I like doing a lot of that stuff. The problem is, is 90% of the people aren't really coming proper with that. Where it's like, I'd love to buy you a cup of coffee so I can pick your brain about starting a .com. And they're emailing you from their Yahoo email. Do not email me about your tech company from your Yahoo email. <laughs> Seriously, don't. Just don't. Well, and that's the don't hardest part. Any, don't email anybody about your tech company from Yahoo. Well, and that is a hard part. You get a lot of people that will hit you up for investments. Yeah. And honestly, as we all know, like 80 to 90% of startups fail. So nope. the best thing you can do is say no to most of them. Yep. Um, unless it's something that I always say, and this is for me, like I don't usually invest in things unless it's something I'm really passionate about or really understand or really care about. Um, been in that boat a lot too. I've actually been in yeah. the room where we, you or I have said that like, Hey, this is a cool idea. I'm sure you'd be successful, but I, I don't know anything about this. So it's hard for me to want to write a check. It's hard for me to give you advice. And that kind of makes me dumb money and I don't like being dumb. Yeah at all. Okay. So one of the things that uh, occurs after an acquisition is there's usually some level or form or person or group or someone that's an integration leader. And, you know, this is someone that's designed, this is a change agent. This is all the, you know, so change management. Um, So you look at our, our company full scale, we've got, we're coming up on our 250th employee. We should be there in about a month and a half. And that's crazy. You know, you look at, I know it is, but you look at change and change is a big thing. And, and, you know, and as I alluded on the very first page of my book, balance me, I, I literally say change is difficult and most people are bad at it. And if you, and, and we get in our own ways and a lot of this, but change in general is is hugely stressful for a lot of people. So uh, a lot of times they, someone is assigned a team or something that is literally there to help answer questions, help lead the charge, help combine cultures. Uh, You have things like new business processes that need to be evaluated and also kind of dealing with cultural clashes, which we've talked about, you know, like Imagine it. Imagine if you take a hundred people and then you put them in a room with another hundred people. And then what, I mean, it's really naive to just, people generally don't like other people. That's just kind of life. And now they have to work together and agree on stuff, which, and then you have employee uncertainty. And as we've mentioned, attrition. I mean, these are all things that, you know, these are all subcategories and departments of change management. So Nobody likes change. And most people just want to do their damn job and go home at the end of the day. And yep. the last thing they want is just more chaos, more change, more problems, more drama, whatever. They just want to do their job and go home. That's it. True. True. So, I mean, out of those things, like, you know, you have culture clash, you have business processes, uncertainty, and attrition. Like, to me, I think the most pronounced thing is the attrition because. You know, like everyone notices when John is not on the team anymore. Yeah. And and it's, it's, it's also the bigger you get that also nobody notices that John is gone because, uh, he works in some other department that I don't know anything about and I have no idea. Right. It's like, Oh, I saw in the back of the newsletter that John left. That's like all, you know, right. 
But when you're really small, you know everybody, like 20 people, 30 people, 50 people, whatever. But you do get to a point um, where it's like you don't you don't know anymore. But what you do know is the overall sentiment of like, hey, we, we've noticed that we've had a lot of people who left for whatever reason, but we're not hiring anybody. Right. And that's that's really becomes the problem. It's it's is everybody eventually gets that sentiment of like, well, a lot of people are leaving, but we're not hiring anybody. And that doesn't feel good. Yeah. And that's well, that's sometimes you, you mentioned that situation where someone's like, well, do I have two jobs now? I think one of the things when you look at employee attrition as well. So the number one recruiter at full scale is our own employees. Yeah. And, and a lot of times they are on the way in from another company. And then I noticed that we see an influx in applicants from that yeah. same company. Now there's a, I mean, and, and in one case, and I won't mention the company, and this was very early in our timeline. Do you remember when I hired two people and then the other 18 people at the company applied? Yeah. Yep. And you know, they have like a terrible culture. So the other, the new folks came over and they started and they're like, Hey, this is pretty cool. These folks are all right. And next thing I know, I it was a 20 person company and literally had a hundred percent of the employees apply. And we literally had to have a talk. We are like, huh. Yeah. It seems like there was some, at some point, something like this happened and, and you had to make the decision. You're like, you know, we just can't hire anybody else from there for a while. <laughs> like, uh, no, it wasn't that I, well, I did hire, I hired quite a few people from there. Cause honestly, if you're going to treat your employees like shit, I don't have a lot of, I don't, I don't, you're not immersed. That's like, I don't have a lot. I don't feel like I need to have mercy on your business, but at the same time, like I wasn't trying to just like shut down. Yeah. I could have, uh, honestly, I, you know, but I, we did end up hiring eight out of, out of 20 people. Wow. There. And it was funny cause the, uh, it was a U.S. company that had an office over there. And as people started leaving that, that person, uh, the person that runs that place that was honestly known as an, being an asshole, um, tried to ra ra uh, rattle some sabers and like basically had sent over some, this is some, he, this guy could have contacted me and he didn't, but he, he kind of sent the message over like, <clears throat> we're going to sue you or do something like that. And, and by the way, I don't respond to that very well. And I, and I, I did actually send someone back over and to, with the message, you're lucky I left anyone if you're going to be an asshole like that, but it made sense. Like, you know, and by the way, all those people still work for us. Well, and so. what, what this really goes to show, though, where this really connects is when your competitors know that you've been through an acquisition, all the all the recruiters in the world wake up to this. They're like, oh, so-and-so oh, yeah. acquired so-and-so. Uh, let's go recruit those people. We know that there's a chance they may want to leave now because of whatever's going on, right? Because it's so, just same, thing, same things go with like mass layoffs or yeah. departmental shutdowns. Like we went through that, like, cause it sends shockwaves and people get yeah. skittish. And, you know, like you said, most people want to just show up to work, go to nine to five, make a good living, go home and do other stuff. So the feeling of uncertainty or change or like, and then another thing too, is like, there's a self-preservation. So right. I think that's the big driver. I think if you put, people in a situation where they can't, they feel like they're walking on eggshells every day. It's not a good feeling. So why not go? See, that's the thing at full scale. Like we've clearly, you know, in the, in the Philippines, which is where our employees are, 
I mean, we got big in a hurry. I mean, we're one of the top three employers of developers in the second biggest city in the Philippines now. Now that said, word gets out pretty quick. And also good culture word gets out, like meaning like, hey, this is a good place to work. Right. So, I mean, really in the end, that's what it comes down to. Now, uh, at the same time, I've seen people definitely stick through adversity other places and, and accept lower pay to stay in cultures that they like. So I think really well, the, the culture is the big thing. And, and tying this back to our, our episode today about what happens after an acquisition, the big key here is you've got to have a real heightened sense of just keeping the team together for that, yep. especially that first probably three to six months. But really putting a big focus on keeping people happy, keeping people on board, um, trying not to disrupt them, you know, as much as possible at the very beginning. And honestly, when Netrio acquired StackFi, I, I wish we could go back and do it differently of like, hey, they acquired us, but just leave us alone for a while. Not yeah. like immediately try and smash the two companies together. Um I, don't, I just don't think that that works real great. Um, the more you can kind of let things kind of slowly assimilate together, probably the better. But you really just got to stay focused on trying to keep your key employees around, keep everybody happy and expect some turnover. It's going to happen. Once again, today's episode of Startup Hustle was brought to us and you by Gusto. If you're looking for an all-in-one HR platform, it's time to check out Gusto. You have everything you need in just a few clicks of a button. You even get three free months when you go to gusto.com forward slash Startup Hustle. Once again, gusto.com forward slash Startup Hustle. There's a link in the show notes. So Matt, uh, I mean, as we as we come to an end here, uh, what are some of your key points? I mean, I, I mean, I think we've we've hit a lot of this stuff. Uh, I mean, what really stands out, or what's the key message when when uh, you think about what happens after an acquisition? You know, as the founder, I think the hardest part is trying to figure out what is your position afterwards. Right? Am I going to stay with the company? Am I not going to stay with the company? More often than not, I would think that founders usually don't stay. I mean, maybe if it's a private equity deal or a you know a strategic acquisition where they they want to leave the the business alone and they want you to run it and you have a lot of autonomy, then it might you might be okay. But when you're you're getting acquired and you're getting smashed together in some bigger corporation, as an entrepreneur who's used to making a lot of decisions and and you know having a lot of power and all that kind of stuff, to be brought into the corporate world can can a lot of times just be the most stark difference in reality and just does not work very well. Um, does not work very well for me. It's, it's very, very frustrating world for me. Um, and you just have to figure out and uh, you know, what, what, where, how are you going to live in this new world or if you're not, and, and, and if it's not going to work for you, you just got to tell them and be honest, be honest with them. A lot of times they don't expect that it's going to work, right? They, they know this, it's not a mystery to them, especially if they've done acquisitions before. So yeah, I, and I, and with that, I think it's important that to make decisions don't be emotional. You know, like I mean, it, it, it's going to be an an emotional thing. I mean, either your your dreams are coming true and you're like your life changed, and there's you're like, wow. So we really could get either I really could get thirty million bucks out of this or whatever, but. You know, with that, uh, you know, regardless, uh, you know, making decisions based on emotion is tough. So, like, give it some time. I think go and I, Matt. I think you have. I think one of the key points that 
that I heard with this was that, you know, looking back and you're like, I wish we would, you, we should have gone into this a little slower, not like yeah. here's day one now, boom, 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 go, 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 go. Cause you know, there's a lot, it, that's the thing that's very interesting is I think that a lot of times as business people or analysts or anyone, we look at X's and O's on paper and that is not people that is X's and O's on paper. These are columns and rows. And, and, you know, once you kind of get higher up the funnel, you get human emotion and, and that, and there's a lot to be said with that. And I think that the uncertainty is something I think that, uh, approach things with empathy and mm, understanding. And, you know, you gotta like, remember that, like, what is exciting for you as the founder might not be exciting for the 199 people that work there. So like, and another thing too, is like, be humble. You know, you don't, I don't want to see a video of any of you walking down the hallway with it, with the big check. Remember the big check, the one that's mm -hmm. like six feet wide. That is not how you should get your acquisition check. Get a nice quiet wire into your account. Don't walk around with the big check. Just be happy you got the big check. So, but no, but with that, like I said, is what what is your celebration might be someone else's uncertainty. So I think the, yeah, absolutely. the humble, the humble em empathetic nature. And you know, whether you're an employee or, or an entrepreneur or whomever, like also know that I don't know, you're just redefining things. But I think that these should be happy things and sell it with a positive future and you know, like. And, and that's the way to do it. Well, Matt, I, I'm I'm ready to end this episode because I want to I want to record number fifty two, where I've got a big check, like a, just a big check. It's congratulations, Matt. You've won a big check that says ten thousand dollars on it. You can get those so on Amazon, by the way. Well, I know I didn't say it was worth ten thousand dollars. It says ten thousand dollars on it. So anyway, man, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna catch up with you on the flip side for number fifty two. We're gonna round this thing out, man. All right, I'm let's out. do it. I'm out. Yeah. Startup hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button. Then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.